Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 142. In today's episode, I interview Aaron Horchig of Squat University, and of course, we talk a lot about squats, uh, but I wanted to share the biggest thing, and I want you to listen to in this episode, is that we don't only do squats as an exercise, but as a movement, and Aaron really harps on this, and I appreciate it, and being a physical therapist, like this is one thing that's very important, like movements are important. We don't always have to do the exercises, but listen to really uh, all, all that he has to share about this, and I know you'll get a lot out of it. Alrighty, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Aaron Horshig. Aaron, first question I always ask people when they come on the show is, share with us the highlights of your health and movement journey up to this point. Definitely. Thanks. So first off, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, so I guess for those of you who don't know who I am, um, I am a physical therapist, a strength and conditioning coach, uh, founder of squatuniversity.com. Um, I started off uh, in Olympic weightlifting uh, back in 2005 before it was extremely popular, I guess, by uh, all the CrossFitters nowadays who have gotten into it. Now you see all the different movements on ESPN and whatnot. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in exercise science, so I started off going through school that way um, and then ended up getting my doctorate in physical therapy. I live out in Kansas City, Missouri, and I work at a place called Boost Physical Therapy and Sports Performance, where I treat athletes of all ages in different sports uh, with a variety of different injuries, anywhere from your common ankle sprain, uh, common you know low back pain uh, due to lifting, to a torn ACL with uh, your basketball player. So see a variety of athletes of all ages and all different injuries. Um, and then uh, as of now, two years ago, I've sort of ventured into doing a lot of education for others now that I feel like I've reached the point where I can start really helping others. Um, and I decided to really hone in on uh, squatting. Um, I felt like the squat was that one movement that a lot of um, – athletes have sort of conceptually rearranged how they look at it. Um, they think that the squat is only an exercise and they forget that it's a movement first. 
And therefore, I feel like a lot of times when you do that to such an extent at that specific type of movement in exercise, um, you leave a lot of weak links in your capabilities as uh, as a human being, uh, let alone as an athlete. And it leads yeah, to eventual injury. Actually, share on what you mean by that, like a uh, difference between a movement and an exercise, because I think that's a very mm-hmm. important thing to touch on for people. For sure. So uh, movement first, I mean, as far as an unloaded exercise, uh, something that we're not doing to try to gain strength, gain uh, power. We're just doing things that you should be capable as a human being of doing. We walk, we run, we bend over to pick something up, um, we squat. Those are fundamental movements that our body should be capable of performing. Um, If you look at a young child, a toddler, when they go over to pick something off the ground, they bend over and they they sit into a squat to pick something up. If you then watch, uh, you know, your 50 year old mom or dad, they may do the same thing, except now they almost perform a deadlift to perform, you know, to bend over to pick something up. Not that a deadlift is a wrong position as far as to pick something up and hinging at the hips. But if you ask that same person to try to squat down deep enough to pick it up as if they could with ease as a child, they no longer can do it. And I think a lot of times it's because we've gotten to the point where we have lost the ability to do so because we don't. It's one of those things. If you don't use it, you lose it. You know, it's one of those. It makes you chuckle. But it it is there's a lot of truth to it in that a lot of people don't use that movement anymore. We if we're going to sit down, we don't sit in a squat to rest. We sit in a chair. Uh, the only time many people actually perform the squat is because they're doing it as an exercise. They're doing it to improve strength, improve uh, you know muscle quality if they're trying to do so for aesthetic purposes, um, or they're trying to become uh, bigger, stronger, faster, be, you know, to help uh, themselves as an athlete perform well. Um, but we we forget it's a movement first, and when you do so, like I said, you leave a lot of weak links on the table because. Your body's uh, ability to produce force and power to perform athletically is always based on top of its ability to move well. So movement is sort of that fundamental foundation from which we can perform on top of. So it doesn't matter if you are the strongest, the most powerful, the quickest athlete out there. If you don't move well, it's basically like looking at a pyramid uh, and then basically the base of it's almost cut in half. So it's a very top-heavy structure uh, and it doesn't take you know, uh, an engineer to understand that a structure like that can be easily toppled the next time a storm comes in. Well, the same goes for our, our human body um, as any person, whether or not you're an athlete or not. Um, if you go to try to perform even the most basic movements or let on, let alone, you know, you try to do something athletically, if your ability to produce strength, power, force, speed, performance markers are outweighing your ability to move well first, your body is set up to accrue an injury. So that's sort of been my whole mission with Squat University is – that the squat is an ec- or a movement ever before it's an exercise. So my goal is to help educate, help empower people to understand how to move well first, um, whether that be with just simple technique cues, um, teaching them how to move well, uh, body weight, uh, you know, a high bar squat, a front squat, move well first, um, and then sort of teach people how to find out why you're not moving well. You know, do you have, uh, you know, limited ankle mobility? Well, how do you know? Let me show you. Then let me show you how to improve 
your ankle mobility based on what we can find in a screening because not everyone has limited mobility for you know, the exact same reason. So my goal is to sort of uh, teach others and empower others with as much free content as possible. My goal is to give every single thing that I know. I'm going to give it away for free, you know, I'm because checking it, out all your blogs and stuff. Like, just so everybody knows, like, if you go squatuniversity.com, correct? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of blogs over there. Even the book came out, right? Uh, yep. If you want to share about that, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't like get to get to check that out or anything. But uh, mm-hmm. definitely excited to hear about. Maybe share what's in there. Um, yeah. Also, just maybe some of your favorite blogs that people uh, or just maybe most popular that really people get the most out of? Definitely. So uh, my book is called The Squat Bible, um, the ultimate guide to empowering you, you know, sort of finding what is your true strength in mastering the squat. Um, and again, it goes along the whole goal of teaching squat as a movement first and as an exercise second. Now, the ability to just sort of teach the squat as far as technique cues, that's nothing new. You know, there's a thousand books out there that can teach you how to squat. Um, however, I think what separates this book from anything else is I sort of teach people how to find what limits their ability to squat. Um, so we go through the joint by joint approach. Now, this isn't anything that um, I have sort of come up with on my own. The joint by joint approach is sort of a, a, a great way to break down and understand how the body works. Um, and it's been coined by Greg Cook and a number of the other guys that have developed sort of the FMS, uh, wrote the book Movement. So people much smarter than I. Um, but I sort of took that concept and applied it to the squat. So we go through the body. Uh, we talk about foot stability. We talk about ankle mobility. Like I, like we just said, you know, I show you a simple screen so that you at home can understand, you know, am I limited in performing a good quality movement because of my ankle mobility? Here's a screen. Do this screen. Then, you know, uh, based on what you find, here's two or three things that you can then improve or work on to then improve your ankle mobility, which in the end will allow you to perform better technique on the squat. So we walk through the body. We do ankle mobility, knee stability, hip mobility. We do low back, you know, teaching people, you know, what is core stability? What are a couple ways that you can work at home to improve your core stability with, again, the end goal to improve the quality in which you lift? In this case, everything's about the squat in this. So um, I think that's what really separated the book um, from other things. But again, you know, these are all things that I have previously shared 100% for free. So the thing that I did with the book, which is obviously what you can find in most books, is that it's just everything all packed into one. So you don't have to go out and search for every single little blog that I've ever written or every single piece of information I put on Instagram. It's all there right in a book, very easy, uh, you know, easy to follow. So, um, yeah, um, I guess as far as blogs go, um, I try to write on a variety of things. Um, you know, we've we've done everything as far as technique goes, um, stuff that you'll find in the book. Um, I'm now really trying to branch into educating others about common injuries. Um, you know, you've got an achy knee after you squat. Why do you have an achy knee? Again, uh, sort of taking medical jargon, but explaining it in a way that everyone can understand. Now, obviously, we're not going to go over uh, huge injuries, a torn ACL or something like that, just because I don't feel like that is something that should be put out for everyone to just haphazardly take and try to work on their own. There's a reason physical therapy is a doctorate level degree. There's way way more that goes into, you know, uh, ACL rehab than something you may find on Instagram, which unfortunately you see some people sort of be like, ACL rehab, try this. And I'm like, that's 
you know, I would never try to share something like that because a big injury requires fine tuning. It's like saying uh, that you can teach someone how to fine tune and be a mechanic on a Lamborghini by teaching them one type of tool. You know, I mean, as uh, an injury requires a mechanic that understands the entire body, how it works, at what part of the injury process they are. Um, if this is hurting, why is it hurting? Well, we got to fine tune this and add this exercise in for this duration because your body's different than this person's body. Um, but on top of that, I think there's a lot of stuff that I can still teach people and others have been trying to do the same. Um, as far as general injuries, because we know no one is going to be a weight room uh, or strength athlete and go through their life without ever developing little aches and pains. You know, uh, one week my elbow's aching a little bit. The next, my shoulder, I uh, felt a little achy. It's been hurting just a little bit. It's not a big injury. It's sort of that first little warning light that pops on in your car. And so my goal is now, once we've sort of done the, the vast education on technique and moving well uh, with the squat Bible, and this is going to be leading up to my next book, is venturing into injury, uh, but teaching people, again, very simplistically, hey, your warning light just popped on in your car. You need to listen to that, and here's how to do it. So here's a couple things. This is what IT band pain is. You know, uh, This is what you should not do. Here's a couple of things you can do to help kickstart your healing process. And, you know, at the end, if you're not feeling progress within a week or two or three weeks of doing these type of things, uh, maybe it's time to go see a physical therapist, you know, to be able to work out um, and sort of get your uh, your final efficient healing. But I think there's sort of this big gap right now is people maybe have achy knee pain or they'll have a shoulder, you know, a little twinge. And it's either ignore it and keep on pushing through it, or now I got to spend $50 to spend a copay to go to my doctor, who's then either going to give me good information, hey, this is what it is, you should go to a physical therapist and get it worked out, or B, they're going to give you bad information, which is what we commonly see, which is, oh, maybe you should just stop bench pressing, take this Advil three times a day, be able to get the inflammation down, and then the pain will eventually go away. You know, Try it when the pain goes away. Exactly. If you watch TV for more than 10 minutes a day, you know, what are you going to see? Uh, there's probably an Advil commercial or a Tylenol commercial. Joe's got to build a house today, but his back hurts. So he's got to take, you know, so many milligrams of Tylenol to be able to get through it. That's the most that's the worst information you can tell someone <laughs> because there's a reason Joe has back pain. And, you know, the, the goal with what I'm trying to do and a lot of other people are trying to do as well, which is really cool to see nowadays is we're educating and we're empowering people to understand, hey, you have pain for a reason. You don't, you should not try to ignore it and push through it, and you should not try to cover it up with pain medication that's then going to lead to a bigger injury down the road. I, I love how you said empowering people, though, because that's a huge part of it. And I don't think everybody understands. Like you said, put out a lot of stuff for free. The, the book is kind of a consolidated place for it, but one of my good friends, like Travis Robbins, he's always amazed by this too. Like people that, if you, if you write a book, like not only did that take X number of hours to write, so that might have, you might have just put 100 hours, maybe, maybe more, who knows, right? 100 hours into that book. But that doesn't include every single patient that you've worked with, every single blog that you've read, every single book that you've read, all the courses you've taken, the classes, your entire education. Like 
and, and that you get to give that all to somebody and now they actually have something to do with it and like they are truly empowered with it like that's what i love is just you can condense all of that down into one and just give them that simple not simple i mean there's still going to be work to be done but here's an effective step-by-step way to gain a movement back like that's an awesome thing i think to have in your uh tool to have as a patient especially as somebody mm-hmm. who is in pain like if you can get something like that uh that's that's going to be huge for you going forward exactly and the big thing i try to get across to people and this is some of the reviews that i've seen uh, you know i read all the reviews on amazon and one of them was you know this book's 128 pages you know i thought it would be longer or i thought there would be much more depth and i'm like 128 pages on the simplistic topic of this just because a book is bigger doesn't mean that it's any more diminished in its impact. And what I tried to do was give you the nuts and bolts, the most simplistic way of explaining something, but it's backed by, again, like you said, at the end of every chapter, I have cited research. If for you know my strength conditioning, my exercise science nerds, if you want to dive into it and see where I got a lot of my information, jump into it. You know, There's a lot of stuff that's all packed into that amount of work. And I felt like I didn't want to give you a, you know, a 500 page book. That's what it originally started off as. You know, I, when I first started writing this book, uh, gosh, like four years ago, it was, I mean, originally it was like three, 400 pages, single spaced on Microsoft word. And then we just compressed it. So we took out, you know, the crap that you don't need to learn that is way over your head. The stuff that basically, uh, people like to write fluff. I say they, they write to hear themselves eventually speak it and make themselves sound like they know what they're talking about. My goal is when I when I explain something to a patient, when uh, we sit down after I do my evaluation, I sit down and I always first I say, you know, what have your what has your doctor told you about this injury? You know, in a lo- half the time they go, um, they said, you know, they used a couple bigger words. They I don't really remember they my rotary cup you know, not your rotator cuff. They don't remember exactly what they said. Uh, They didn't explain it well. And they're like, go to physical therapy. So I always say, you know what, I'm going to explain to you in the most simplistic way possible, what is going wrong with your body and how we're going to fix it. And I'm going to explain it to you. You know, we're going to sit here and talk for like five minutes. We're not going to sit here for an hour, you know, so that that's the book in the way that I try to explain things to people is I'm going to take all this science, all this background, all this understanding, and I wanted to explain it to you as if I were talking to an eight year old, not that it diminishes the power of what we're saying, but that every single person, no matter if you are a high schooler, no matter if you are a doctor who teaches at the graduate school level, anyone can understand it. So you talk about just being in the clinic there. Like, I'm curious, what is uh, maybe your setup? Because like you said, you do work with a lot of athletes. Like, do you have any specific athletes that you like to work with? I mean, are you really like into just the weightlifting community? uh, Or is it you're still seeing like a lot of athletes just from around your area? Yeah, I see athletes of all different uh, sports. I don't see a – I would say uh, the majority of athletes that I see sport-wise is probably going to be basketball uh, and football and soccer just because we see uh, a ton of high school and college age athletes. Um, I do get my weightlifters every once in a while. A lot of those are going to be more uh, achy, you know, things that I explain it. You know, we do like video consultations and whatnot. 
um, or I see at my gym when I go, um, I go and train at Casey Weightlifting. Um, so every time I'm in, you know, I usually do a little consultation here and there with some of the athletes that are there. Um, but I'd say the large majority of athletes that I see are, again, basketball, um, football, soccer. But, uh, you know, around Kansas City, I, I think the, a large reason for that is, is twofold. First, that, those are the most popular sports around the area. So but per volume-wise, an athlete in high school is more likely to play those sports than traditional sports such as – or, you know, strength sports such as uh, CrossFit, powerlifting – weightlifting. Um, I think those sports are becoming more popular. So I think the, um, amount of patients that I will see with those type of injuries will rise. Um, as far as the patients I love to see, I like to see a variety. I don't want to get stuck, I think in one specific type of training, um, or type of, uh, patient care. I love seeing a variety. Um, Probably the things that I see more often, I see a ton of knee injuries. I see a ton of back injuries. I see a ton of shoulder injuries. Uh, the thing I special, I would say I specialize in the most in terms of those is uh, ACL rehab. I've probably treated more than, gosh, probably more than 200 athletes with a torn ACL, which probably comes out to closer to 8,000 to 10,000 hours of, uh, of training time rehabbing an athlete from an ACL tear. Because you would say probably most athletes – uh, with an ACL tear, you're going to be seeing them for probably, you know, 24 to 36 weeks after an injury. So getting them back, uh, you know, number of times you're seeing them two to three times a week for, you know, upwards of, you know, six months or so plus. So, um, yeah, a variety of athletes is what I would say. All right. So we're talking ACLs here. Let's go into maybe a little bit on recurrence rates. Uh, cause I think this is huge. I like, I remember like even just when I was in school, like, uh, on one of my rotations, there was somebody who was in for like their third on the same knee, and I was just blown away by something like that. If you wouldn't mind maybe just diving into like why this happens, what what what, what is going on when an athlete tears their ACL three times? Well, I think there's a couple of things that you have to look at. First off, you have to look at why does an ACL injury occur. Now, when we look at an ACL injury, 75% of the time, roughly, uh, you're going to see an athlete tear uh, their ACL because of a non-contact injury. So no one's going to be touching them. They're just going to be moving in a certain way, usually landing or cutting, changing direction quickly. And that is the cause for what happens. You'll see a valgus collapse of the knee usually. Um, and that is going to be sort of the factor that causes the ACL tear. So in the rehab process, if the physical therapist does not help re-educate the way that that athlete lands, changes direction, and moves, I think automatically that's going to be a huge factor for that person re-tearing their, their ACL. Now, and this is something, again, that I think some physical therapists out there do a very poor job of doing is – they will get the athlete back to the point where they are running again and maybe doing some light, maybe some light agility. And then they're like, uh, there's nothing more I can do for you here. You're discharged. Um, I think there, there's a couple things. A, insurance often sucks and is, you know, they're like, uh, you have 40 visits per year. I can't do anything more. The physical therapist, Which as much I as they would. I want to say something about that because it's like, <laughs> you think about it, right? If, yeah. Even if average uh, visit cost is $100, let's just say that, right? times how many visits if, if, if they're coming in 24 weeks twice a week i mean eh, approximately 50 visits right okay mm -hmm. now you do that versus another surgery like <laughs> yeah. the cost to me i i don't think it adds up i mean again i'm a physical therapist too so i'm very much in favor of something like that but to yeah. continue and actually just do hey even another two months of pt 
is a hell of a lot cheaper than having to have them come through for another surgery and then another bout of PT. Oh, definitely. So I, I think, you know, visit, I think some physical therapists are crippled almost or handicapped by the amount of visits that they can work with an athlete. I think also the setup of a number of physical therapy clinics also limits the capacity for a physical therapist to do work. Um, when you walk into the clinic that I work at, Boost Physical Therapy, we have you know, your normal PT setup as far as it is a carpeted area, there's a number of beds out. Um, but then we also have like a 30-yard turf football field. I have a basketball court. I have a weightlifting area. Um, as an athlete, when you get to the point where it's time to run and do agility, I'm on the field most of the session for an hour and a half, two hours. You know, I don't have my athlete come in as a patient and they're capped at a 60 minute visit. They may be there for two and a half hours of all I care, you know, the uh, and on the field doing agility work because as a physical therapist, if I don't get that athlete back to performing the movements, which in the, you know, at the beginning caused the injury, then I'm not doing them any service as to making sure that they're fully rehabbing in a way that's not going to lead to another injury in the end. Um, and then I think you also have education as therapists out there, I feel are poorly equipped to handle a, a hard rehab as far as an athlete, you know, back to normal function as far as walking, squatting body weight, getting their range of motion back and decreasing their swelling. Failures that I've seen uh, come to me at 12 weeks post-op from another physical therapy clinic that have not yet done a single leg squat at all. I get athletes, now this is bearing, not having like a meniscus tear that has been reconstructed that limits. I have athletes do single leg squats usually either you know by the second or third visit. Now, obviously they're very, very small single leg squats off like a two or three or four inch box, but we are definitely gonna be working on single leg deceleration and control of the body. You know, that is the injury mechanism, is an inability to eccentrically control the body in a dynamic movement. So if you're not doing single leg squats, you're not, you know, even touching the reason that athlete had that injury. First off, single leg squats are going to be a huge part of an ACL rehab. So, you know, that's, you know, the number, it's multifactorial and why does an ACL uh, re-injury occur? Now, here's another too is the type of graft that an you know an athlete uh, may have during their surgical procedure, um, and obviously this may be you know way above the educational uh, you know area. Listening may even want to go into when it, uh, when let's, someone let's dive into it. Let's, okay, go. let's jump into it when an athlete has a torn ACL, they rarely sew the ACL back together. They use a graft. So that means that we take another part of your body, we chop it out, and we put it in and replace it as your ACL. Now, one of the most – there's a couple common areas. A, we'll take your semi-tendinosis tendon, uh, so part of your hamstring. We'll take it out. We'll sort of bundle it together so it looks like a ligament, and then we insert it into your knee and sort of pin it. Your ACL would regularly run. So basically, we give you a fake uh, ACL, which with something that's extremely strong, your hamstring tendon. Uh, sometimes people will use your uh, the middle third of your patellar tendon. That's another one. Um, less common ones will be your quad tendon, 
Um, but, uh, you know, again, and sometimes people will even use um, an ACL or uh, those that I previously mentioned from a cadaver body. So uh, from someone's body who has, you know, donated their body. Depending on the type of graft um, of those that I mentioned, sometimes you will have recurrence rates, uh, so retear rates, anywhere usually between uh, I uh, of people who have one of those graphs will naturally re-tear or are at risk to re-tear the race of, you know, those are the type of graphs. But here's the, something that's really interesting. Uh, there's a ligament called your ALL, your anterior lateral ligament. And it's a very, very small ligament, obviously, on the anterior lateral side of your knee. Now, when a lot of ACL injuries occur, it's not just valgus, a valgus motion is not only just sideways there's a rotary stability to it so there's an internal rotation and adduction which means your thigh moves in towards your body so when that happens and you tear your acl often this small ligament your all is also torn this ligament for a long time was just sort of either not thought to be important or people sort of glanced over it because it's extremely small um but what we find, and there's some new research that's coming out, uh, if anyone is a super you know, nerd and wants to look it up, uh, Dr. Matt Daggett, Matthew Daggett out of Kansas City, um, he's done a number of research with a number of clinicians uh, out in France. Um, and what they do is they repair the anterior lateral ligament as well with the uh, ACL. And they have found in their pilot studies of hundreds of athletes, so they're very big pilot studies, um, that their re-injury rates are uh, less than 1% uh, re-tear rates years down the road when they repair the anterior lateral ligament. And the reason is because the anterior lateral ligament is a very important ligament in rotary stability. So the ability to keep the tibia femur, which, as we know, is a mechanism if there's too much rotation uh, for a valgus collapse and therefore too much stress placed on the ACL, uh, which tears it. So uh, the retear rates are extremely small. If anyone is a physical therapist that is uh, listening to this, you know, definitely ask your uh, uh, the different surgeons that you work with. Do they even know about the ALL? Do they repair the ALL? It's a, obviously there's a different procedure going through. So a number of your surgeons are not going to be repairing because they have no idea how to do it. They haven't been trained to do it yet. Um, I see a number of them obviously because I work closely with this doctor, uh, Matt Daggett. Um, but the, the end, the, um, retail rates are extremely low compared to your, um, I guess more conventional way of just repairing the ACL alone. And that's what I was going to ask. Is it, that it's just still intact and giving that stability or is it like that it still helps with all the proprioception? I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing. Like what, what is the exact cause? But I guess it's, Hey, there, it's there for a reason. So it has to be giving you that stability from some angle for some reason. There's actually some really good cadaver videos that I've seen, uh, from, uh, this doctor that he sent me and you'll actually see with, uh, just, uh, with the ALL intact in the ACL, clipped so the acl is deficient in the knee uh the knee is actually fairly stable rotary wise but as soon as the all is clipped there's a ton of uh a lot more rotary instability in the knee so showing that just the uh repairing the acl is not alone at ability or giving back this stability to a person's knee that has previously injured it that's interesting yeah i'm 
I think I've only seen one patient that I can, like, I didn't really take a whole lot with that because I, I don't see a whole lot of ACL reconstructions, but yeah. I feel like I did see one, like it was out of uh, Rothman Institute because uh, I'm not too far from Philly. So we'll see okay. we'll go down there fairly often. Um, but yeah, now I'm curious to see, uh, I don't have anybody right now, but I definitely want to look into this and even just ask some more of the docs about this now. Yeah. All right. So speaking of like, uh, Dr. Matt Dagger here, uh, like, Aaron, is there anybody else that you're just kind of like geeking out on, like just studying any of their work, just looking <laughs> into, uh, whether it's in like, uh, orthopedics, physical therapy, or just anything else that you're just kind of like, you know what? I'm super interested in uh, the moon. I don't know. I mean, anything like that, that you're going, to, going to town on? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of Kelly Starrett with the stuff that he does with Mobility Wad. I think he has mastered the ability to take uh, also, you know, very, very in-depth uh, topics and explain them very simplistically uh, to people. And I think that resonates. I think you you see people that understand, or you know, they understand if, if people are like. Oh, my, uh, my knee feels a little wonky today or it's feeling tight and popping all around. Um, whereas conventionally a lot of physical therapists, when they speak to patients, they still are stuck in physical therapy school mode where they're like, you know, Oh, you're, uh, you're vast medialis obliquus, you know, and they're, they're using terms that people don't know or don't want, you know, they don't need to understand it in the scientific way that a lot of people explain it. You know, when you talk to a patient, you can use very good analogies. Well, this is like a golf ball sitting on a golf tee. And if the golf ball is rolling around off the golf tee, it's going to smash into different structures and lead them to get angry. You know, you don't have to say, well, you know, your humerus may migrate forward and then impinge on the supraspinatus tendon. You know, people don't understand that or need to necessarily know the exact scientific term. So I think Kelly was uh, honed in on how to explain things well to people and empower them through that understanding. Um, so I'm huge on his work. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of uh, Dr. Stuart McGill. Um, um with uh with back mechanics and understanding the injury principle with that no and i wanted to say on like just speaking out to students uh because this is something like I, I get three four students a year and usually when they're starting to get into doing more exam especially like on the evaluation part uh they really struggle like you said keeping it simple uh to be able to just break it down and explain to somebody it's like by you sounding smarter, the patient is not initially going to be more impressed by that. By them understanding it, they're going to be so much happier than anything because, like you, I think you said before, like a doctor might spend 30 seconds saying, it's this, 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 and this. All right, you're done. Like, get out of here, take your bill, whatever. Uh, but for somebody who understands that, it's that empowerment again, an empowering message that they can really uh, take home and understand goes a long way uh, with you really actually getting buy in from them and being able to help them out. Exactly. I think um, you can't consider yourself uh, an expert or someone who has excelled uh, in the physical therapy world until that until you can take a very complicated subject and explain it to a high schooler and have them buy in and understand it. Um, you know, because then it shows that you truly understand it when you can teach it in that way. Aaron, it sounds like you have just great. Uh grasp of all this like what are some like <laughs> biggest lessons no but i mean like what are the biggest lessons that you've learned maybe 
in, in your career or just like even in undergrad, something like that, where it's like, you know what, you thought something was this way, but you've come to realize like, no, the tides have turned. Like it, it's really completely different than that now that I'm really working with people and helping them out a lot more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a couple lessons. I think the first thing is, and I hope I don't butcher it, it's basically um, the people who are the best experts or teachers in the room never stop becoming it or never stop being a student. Um, and that's something that I truly take to heart. There's not a, a week that, that flies by that I haven't read a number of research articles, watched videos, uh, trying to continue my education. Um, you know, written in a way that I'm trying to teach others and in writing those. I'm, I have to do the research on this specific injury. And, you know, I, you, I wrote on piriformis syndrome the other week and in doing so, I'm gathering a ton of articles and I'm reading all the different parts of, you know, I'm pulling out my McGee book from physical therapy school and all these places. And I'm, I'm trying to fit it together. And in doing so, I'm, you know, I have epiphany moments of, oh, that makes sense. Why didn't I never think about it this way? You know, you should never stop learning or think that you know everything. You know, science is always evolving as well. You know, that's the great thing about science. You know, there's always articles. If you can't critically appraise any article and find a hole in it, there's a re there's something wrong with it, you know. Um, we're always sort of learning, we're evolving. So as a as a clinician, as a person, you should be always evolving and learning as well. You know, there's things that I thought, you know, five, 10 years ago that I probably think the exact opposite of, or, you know, very different than today, just because I've continued to learn, I've continued to evolve as a person, as a clinician. Um, and that's, you know, that's life. Uh, if you never are trying to better yourself every single day, you know, you're stuck in a rut. I remember the one thing I'm when we took our last test and obviously you're getting ready to study for boards. I remember so many people saying, oh gosh, I, I'm never reading research again or I can't wait to be done reading research. And I'm like, are you freaking serious? I can't wait to just uh, sit out and, and read the research I want to read now. You know, whatever, pediatrics or you know anything that you don't have a big interest in. I can't wait to just sit there and this is legit what I do. I get in trouble at work sometimes because I just sit there and I will print off like – 300 pages of, you know, <laughs> you know, National Strength and Conditioning Association articles or, you know, anything that I find interesting. And I'm just sitting there because I, I want to learn. I want to read on topics that I want to learn. Um, and here's the scary thing is, I mean, I'm 31 years old right now and I feel energized more than I was when I was 18 to learn and continue to grow. What's going to be possible for me to continue to put out and help others when I'm 40, when I'm 50? You know, it's uh, so it's something that I constantly uh, have energy about is learning and continuing to grow and to not take any single day for granted. There's days where you're, you know, maybe tired, you didn't sleep as well, but guess what? Get your butt up, you know, learn something new so you can help someone and empower someone else's life and serve others. Because that's, as physical therapists, we were put on this planet to help serve others. So if you're not trying to do your best job to continue to grow and become a better physical therapist every single day, you're doing a disservice to every single person that you're out there in contact with. I, I love that you said about, like, just the reading of the research because – I read so much. I mean, granted, yes, I don't have to be studying for different exams and stuff like that, but I read so much more now than I ever did when I was in school. Uh, like, yeah. You had, like, think about how much you still had to read in school, but it still doesn't touch, like, 
whether, well, I should say whether I'm listening, whether I'm reading, whatever it is, I'm trying to take all of that in because it's exactly, I, I can do, look exactly at what I want. I can look at, hey, what is my patient population right now? Maybe I need to brush up on X, Y, Z, like get somebody new come in. And like, I actually enjoy, enjoy seeing a new patient that comes in and you're like actually confused by it a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. because now you have that opportunity to grow. Uh, just This happened to me this week. It's like, just the way the guy was presenting, I'm like, this isn't quite ending up. So it's getting getting out the books, getting out, talking to other people, whatever it is. But now I'm going to grow so much more from that. And like you said, it's now you get to do it with whatever it is that you want. So it is so much more exciting to do. Exactly, yeah. Every single patient you see is like a puzzle. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be people that are going to confuse you and as a clinician you can continue and you know figure out how to put those pieces together and everyone's going to have those people that the puzzle just doesn't make sense and what's going on and you know you're trying to jam together and all of a sudden you're like you know you stumble across this piece of research or this book by someone or a video by someone you're like oh let's try that and all of a sudden the piece fits and then you're like from here on out the next time someone comes in and presents like that, you're like, hey, let's try this. I just got another tool in my toolbox. And I, you know, obviously you leave physical therapy school and you've got a couple small little tools in your toolbox. I always say it like this uh, when you leave physical therapy school, uh, if you remember like when you're eight years old or nine years old and your dad got you your, fir- your first tool set, right? You've got your little uh, tinker. You can do a little bit of work with them. You, you, you know, your screwdriver, your screwdriver while plastic will fix some things. As a physical therapist, when you graduate with your doctorate, you basically have a little plastic tool set. You are very young as a clinician. You haven't worked with anyone yet. You've done a couple clinical rotations, but have you taken an ACL from week zero to week 36 and got them back? No, because you're usually on like an at max 12-week clinical rotation. So you're still learning. And you know, if you haven't taken the time as a physical therapy student to, to progress and learn every single day, every single day you're awake to, to print off another piece of research or read another book, to try to take your little plastic you know, tool and turn it into a nicer tool. And eventually one day, 10 years down the road, maybe it's a $100 hammer. Because you've gotten that much better. I don't, I don't know. That's an analogy that may fit for some people. But, you know, <laughs> as a clinician, you, your goal should be able to make a very beautiful tool set so that you're not just seeing a nail every time it walks in. And, hey, I got a hammer because what happens, you need something else. You need, you know, to be able to use a different type of tool. Um, so, yeah, there's something to think about if you are a young physical therapist or a young uh, student physical therapy. I'm curious, where have you come up with all these analogies? Like, you're all over the place and have a ton of good ones. Like, is this some – no, I'm actually serious because I think this go, this to me – analogies to me are like storytelling. Like, mm-hmm. some people have it, some people don't. Like, I, I I love to just hear somebody who can just go off on, like, a story and you're just absolutely enthralled. Like, you have no idea what they're talking about, but you're still – like, you have no idea the situation, how it all happened. But same thing with yeah. analogy. Like, an analogy can wrap you in – and just bring you to the exact point that you need to understand. Like, did you actually learn this from anybody? Have you just cultivated it over time? And that one I just made up off the top of my head. <laughs> but I mean, just in general, yeah. like, like, is this something like you just always kind of naturally yeah. done? Um, no, I think you know, 
just like anything, the way that you can approach and you teach others is something that needs to be cultivated and groomed as well. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was probably a little bit timid as far as my ability to, uh, you know, uh, speak in front of others and uh, express my opinion clearly, you know, public speaking wise. Um, and then, you know, you get into college and I was able to put myself into positions where I had to learn how to speak in public. I had to learn how to not uh, basically lose your crap every single time you get in front of a huge group of people. Um, and then to the point where I got into grad school and every time I got up in the front of class, they're like, uh, do you need to use the mic to speak? And I'm like, no, I'm all right. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the one that can vocalize to the back of the classroom and be very, very clear in how I articulate my message. It's something that needs to be trained. So, if, you know, that's why as um, you know, a physical therapist, if your goal is to be um, someone that can articulate what you're trying to say um, practice, practice on patients. Every single time you get a new patient, which you're probably getting a bunch of new patients every single week, take your time to be with a stranger and explain things and, um, find, you know, and listen to others too. be a sponge. A lot of the analogies that I use when I'm talking about, um, you know, the way the body works are things that I have learned when others have used them. Um, you know, the shoulder, your shoulder joint is like a golf ball sitting on a golf tee. You know, that's something that I learned from my uh, mentor in physical therapy, Travis Neff, who is the owner of Boost Physical Therapy and Sports Performance. Um, you know, there's a number of different things like that. You pick them up. Um, you understand why that's such a good analogy because it fits um, the simplistic understanding of what you're trying to get across as a difficult topic, but that anyone can understand. So, um, and then I think obviously there's there's probably a little bit of it that you're just sort of born that you can mission. And I, I mean, truly, I, I do think that this is legit. The reason uh, why I was put on this earth was to help as many people as possible. Um, so I, you know, I feel so much gratitude every single day that I've been able to be in a position where I can be on a podcast like this and speak to other people and, and have uh, people watch what I'm doing on Instagram and read my blogs. I'm, I remember blog post and 500 people looked at it. You know, I was ecstatic. I was like, oh, this is crazy. Now there's obviously, you know, tens of thousands more people. But it's, you know, again, it's it's gratitude. It's learning to be appreciative that you've been put on a platform that others can learn from and then not taking it for granted. I'm not here to try to make a buck off other people. If I'm here and I'm trying to sell you a 30-day program for this or that, I'm not doing my job. So that's why I try to give everything away for free. Obviously, tangent and getting off on things but <laughs> no that's this is good like is there any way that like how, how did you kind of fall into it like because i know you said like okay it started with the movement it started with the squat like but does yeah. it go back further than that for you in actually finding uh like you said that passion of really what you wanted to be able to share to people or or any way now that you help to or continue to refine that i think yeah so um <clears throat> yeah I can actually trace it back to a particular time where I was like, I want to do something different. And this is, this is funny. I've actually not told anyone else this on a, on a uh, podcast before. So, um, I was coming up through physical therapy school and coming and beginning my career as a clinician. Um, I really liked writing research. Um, I would sit there and I, I've been published in the international journal of sports physical therapy twice. 
Um, I enjoyed the writing process of getting out and finding 500 different sources and putting together the research. I enjoyed the process of doing it. Um, and it got to the point where I was very much so about uh, having certifications to sort of show that you know what you're talking about, you know, and as a, as a young, you know, clinician or a young professional, having letters behind your name can be empowering and that, you know, you know, that you're somebody basically, um, you know, I got my CSCS certified strength conditioning specialist from the NSCA when I was a junior in college, I got certified as an Olympic weightlifting coach way back then. I got my HFS, which is another one that I don't, there's no reason to keep that up. <laughs> um, you know, I got my DPT, so I had like a thousand letters behind my name by that time I graduated. And I really wanted to, again, continue that path because if you don't have certifications behind your name, you know, who's going to take you seriously? So I went and I tried to get and I studied my butt off for uh, the SCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Now, this is not at all to degrade anyone that has taken that and gotten those letters behind your name because it's a freaking hard test and it's, you know, kudos to you because it's it's really tough. Um, but I am not a very good test taker. My uh, ability to do tests in the past, and clearly. Uh, but uh, I barely, you know, missed the, the passing grade. Uh, by like 3%, I missed the SCS. And that was something you always study for like eight months out of the year. And I remember sitting there on my couch afterwards that day, and I was like, what am I doing right now? I have tried to, you know, I've spent all this time writing research to get published in a, you know, in a professional journal that maybe a couple hundred, maybe a thousand or so people will pick up and read the article. That's it. I've always, you know, I tried working my butt off to get the certification and afterwards, what would it have done for me had I passed it? And I was like, you know, I had to sort of self-actualization, realize what am I doing here? What is my goal? And my, if my goal is to truly help as many people as possible and to be that empowering source for others, I need to switch up how I'm doing things. I need to switch up how I make, you know, teaching others and showing myself. I was like, I'm done trying to get more letters behind my name. I'm done trying to write research to put into a fancy publication article that people are going to have to first pay to get. And then, you know, even it may, if I'm going to start writing, I'm going to start speaking, I'm going to start, you know, helping the common person that doesn't have a doctorate degree that is out there and their knee hurts, their shoulder hurts because I've been there. I've been an athlete for my entire life. I've had plenty of times where I would have an injury and I got the runaround from doctors or from physical therapists who maybe wanted to help you get back to baseline but didn't ha have the understanding to get you back to performance level. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So that was really the starting point. I was like, game on. So I'm, I started writing the squat Bible that day and I wrote ton at first because I was like, just, <laughs> it was, it was great. It was legit like a mission. Like every single day I was writing for almost two years. So I ended up writing, like I said, like 300-something pages single-spaced. And, and mine who works with me, Dr. Kevin Santana, 
he is amazing at understanding how to how to take my jumbled mess of a brain and sort of simplistically put it together. And in doing so, again, like I said, I've been trying to hone in my skills of how I can convey things, not only in the written form, but in verbal form and mash things together. And then that has what has sort of been the springboard for what is Squat University nowadays and the things that I'm trying to do. That is awesome. I, I love hearing about that where it's just like you, you find that it's just that aha moment that just everything just seemed probably so much clearer for you at that point and you just knew you were on the right road and it was, well, like you said, two years, like just every day minimum. And I mean that really, yeah, you, you've finished the book but it didn't stop there. I mean before that was probably even out published anything like that, you're probably already working on the next one too. No, exactly. You know, I and I, I wrote – so I wrote a whole book. And then um, the big thing was, well, how do you sell it nowadays, right? And the crazy thing, and this is what I love nowadays, is we have this thing called the internet. And (laughs) here's the thing is you can shop around in the traditional – what did you have to do? You had to go to a publishing company and you had to then send the publishing company your idea in this whole write-up of what it was compared to other books that are out there. And guess what? There's a lot of people out there today that are still going that traditional route because that's all they know. And I did that. I tried to shop my book around. And do you know how many times I I was denied? I don't even know how many times. Oh, your book is way true to niche. Like you'll never get it sold. Um, I had a – and this is at the time. I had probably 100,000 followers on Instagram at this time. And the person told me you cannot sell anything on Instagram. I don't believe, yeah, no one knows, no one world, you're not going to be able to sell anything on Instagram. And I was like, no, that's, <laughs> let, let me show you how to do this. So again, and I, I think that's the, the thing is the, the internet has, has taken away these gatekeepers before for what is information nowadays. And anyone can write a book and then sell it to other people, not by trying to sell to them at first. I didn't talk to any single person about buying a single thing from me for over a year and a half after I started Squat University. You know what I did? I came out there and I said, here's who I am. Here's what I want to do. Here's my mission. I'm going to help you. Let's do it. And it was day in and day out. Here's a blog. Here's a blog, you know, a post on this. Here's this and that. I had posts that I would put up and I would say, I'm here to help you with your squat. Send me your videos. Direct message me now if you need help. And for five hours in a day off from working in clinic, I would sit on my couch and I would direct message people back. Like 80 people in a row. Direct, hey, awesome. You know, maybe push your hips back a little bit more. You look a little off balance because your bar path is going forward. Hey, try this mobility test. I think this might show some things. Every single day, I would be direct messaging people to try to help them. And for a year and a half, I didn't do a single thing to ask anyone to buy a single thing. And then I said at the end, I was like, you know what? After a year and a half, hey, if you guys would like all of my information out, here it is. It's in a book. It's 28 bucks. If you would like, please buy it. If not, awesome. Because guess what? That's not my goal. My end goal is to be able to build something to where I can continue to have as much influence to empower people as possible. So if you me, I'm not here to take your money. But if you want to find everything in one simplistic 128-page book, it's available for you. 
So I sell, I self published in the end, which was the best thing in the world because I have complete control over the entire process and I can always stick it to the people that said that you could never sell anything on Instagram. <laughs> well, part of that is, I mean, a lot of the big players, there's, they recognize that you can, but they won't admit that because it means that they're in trouble and everybody mm -hmm. that has a true passion and truly something to just share can now get it out there and they don't have to go through all of those roadblocks, jumping through all the hoops just to get that to, to people that want to learn more about it. Uh, so I think exactly. that's beautiful that you just have that ability to do that now. Yeah. And then, yeah, as soon as the first book came out, I'm like, all right, start writing the second one. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun process, but again, you know, I'm not, I probably won't ask anyone to purchase a single thing for the next two years. And then, uh, eventually if anyone would like to, to buy that book when it comes out, it'll be available. So, well, come to our, uh, upon our hour here. One of the last things I always ask people, uh, come on the show is who would you want to hear on this podcast? And what is it that you would either want to hear them talk about or just like a single, like any questions that you would want to, ha uh, have me ask them or have them go into? I, I think first and foremost, I would ask, uh, Kelly Starrett. I feel like he's an amazing speaker. Um, a, you know, another great person, um, as far as a physical therapist and dealing with injured athletes, um, Dr. Stuart McGill, like Even I said, with yeah. so like, what would you want to ask him? Like what's something you would want to hear, uh, either that you haven't heard him talk about or just something that you think that every time he goes into it, like, it's just an absolutely amazing thing that people need to hear more about. I mean, I love his an entire idea of just, you know, it's, it's a move well thing. You know, it's every single person should have the capacity to perform basic fundamental, um, you know, I guess guessing, you know, or, or checks and balances on their body. That's what it's all about is it's, it's empowering you to understand your body in a way that previously, you know, cost you $300 to go to a specialist. And now it's, Hey, uh, if you're feeling weird on your deadlift, what's wrong? Let me sh show you. And he was one of the first to really present it in a way like that. And, um, you know, now he, he travels the world and is able to teach people in, you know, his, his way of doing things. So, um, yeah, I would just, I, I, I just love sort of getting into the story of how everything started. You know, I think a lot of times, I mean, if, if you really want to learn about someone or learn about what they're about, you, you can find all the information on YouTube or on their blog or whatever. And Kelly's 365 videos are all still free on YouTube. So, you know, if you wanted to, but I, I like learning a lot about their person, the person's past, uh, and sort of what got them into it. Obviously I know his backstory already. Um, but then my big thing, I, I try to get as much, uh, on every podcast, I want to try to provide as much value for the people that are listening. So definitely concrete things that people that are listening can take away, um, is huge. Right on, right on. Well, Aaron, like where can everybody go check out your stuff? Find the Squat Bible. I mean, Squat University, is, is everything there? Anything else you'd like to direct them to to, to check out? Yeah, so every social media, uh, Instagram is probably the uh, the largest sort of platform that I use every single day, um, all over Twitter, um, Facebook at Squat University, squatuniversity.com. That's where I have uh, usually probably biweekly or monthly blogs now because they're getting a little bit more in-depth. It's a little bit longer process of writing them. Um, my book, Squat University, or The Squat Bible, is on Amazon. Um, and I'm also on Snapchat, at Aaron Horshig. Uh, if you need to 
figure out how to spell that. You can go on Instagram. It's a tough last <laughs> name to spell. <laughs> uh, over social media. Uh, if anyone has a question for me, uh, you can email me at squatuniversity at gmail.com, and I promise you I'll try to get back to it as quick as possible. Um, yeah. Right on, Aaron. I, 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 I encourage everybody to explore the squat as a movement uh, and not just as an exercise after this conversation. So thank you again so much for that. And uh, I, I really appreciate all that you had to share today for everybody. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be on the show. So I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach, and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free, so thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others, so thank you. Mm-hmm.